Welcome to a very special episode of The Joy of Marketing. Today we're joined by my personal hero, the author of Common Sense Direct Marketing, the book I learned it all from. He was also worldwide creative director of Ogilvy and Made the Direct. The best way I can introduce him is simply by quoting David Ogilvy himself, who said, Drayton Bird knows more about direct marketing than anyone in the world. That's certainly something I agree with. He's spoken on marketing in 55 countries, but we have him here today with no travel required. Welcome, Drayton Bird. Thank you very much, Andrew. I'm not bloody well allowed to travel anywhere. <laughs> it's breaking my heart. <laughs> Do you know, I'm the same. I don't think I've ever gone for such a long period without travel as I have right now. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. I wanted to go and see my daughter in America, my son in America, and a number of other people around this country, all, all probably gasped, tremendously relieved not to have to see me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, that actually gives us quite a nice link to America, because I wanted to start at the beginning of your career, when you got some training from Draper Daniels, who, of course, was the inspiration for Don Draper in Mad Men. So, I mean, what, what, what did you learn from uh, Draper? Well, I learned probably the most valuable thing uh, you can learn, or certainly a, an aspect of the most valuable thing you can learn. The second uh, chairman of um, <clears throat> IBM once said, nothing happens in business until something gets sold. I had no idea who Draper Daniel was. He, he came over with another very tall uh, American from Chicago. He was actually the head of creative services, i.e. the creative director at Leo Burnett in Chicago. I didn't know. I knew nothing about him. He was the highest paid man in or creative guy in American advertising. And what he did was he taught us how to sell. And he, he and his colleague did a hilarious rendition of um, a pitch they had made to a bank in Chicago featuring a lion because the bank had a, a lion as its symbol. So they used a cartoon lion. And I, I still remember uh, how they, they said, you know, why a lion? One said to the other and the other said, well, lions are brave. Lions are, you know, ferocious. Lions never give up, blah, blah, blah. It was brilliant, and I, I, I already learned that the most important thing to do is to sell. I, that, that was, I think, that was about three and a half years after I'd uh, started in copy, and I wrote an awful lot of rubbish, but I sold it all. And then I, Draper really taught me how to sell even more expensive rubbish to more people. High <laughs> <I> prices. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I was I was going to say that's what we're all trying to do, but then I thought I'm I'm I need to be a bit more politically correct at my, at my stage. Well, it has to it works, doesn't it? It took me longer to learn how to make it work, and that job at Leo Burnett um, was where I learned how to make it work because we had a client called Hope Brothers, a retail store. And the thing about retail is that if you run an ad on Friday, which is when they used to run their ads, because people weren't shopping on Saturday, you knew by the end of Saturday whether it was any good or not. That was a priceless piece of, uh, of experience. 
Yeah, that's a fantastic point because you you basically had fifty two attempts, I suppose, at writing an advert, and then you got the the feedback w- within two days. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we used to have to run a lot of ads. It was very good for me. I learned a hell of a lot uh, in those early years. Um, I still learn things. Actually, I'm still looking for things to learn. I mean, obviously, you know, e- email is really my my business, and it's a pretty critical thing in e commerce. Um, You've written quite a bit about, well, I think David Ogilvy said that direct mail was his first love, didn't he? Um, and it's pretty clear that there's a very close link between direct mail and email. I mean, they're they're more or less the same thing. So, I mean, what would be your sort of advice for people who are writing marketing email? Um, well, the first thing I would say, is that, and I, I suspect the best thing I've written on this subject is in a book which I don't you may not have read. And it was called How to Write a Sales Letter That Sells. And I revised it a little while ago uh, to make it How to Write a Sales Letter and Emails That Sell. Right. And I pointed out there is absolutely no difference whatsoever, fundamentally no difference whatsoever. Um, People get confused about media. What they should be thinking is not I'm, I'm, I'm entering a new medium. They should think I'm talking to the same people the same arguments will persuade them. The only thing I have to worry about is, is the technicality as how they receive it. The big problem uh, and the big difference between uh, email and direct mail is that in direct mail, it is much easier to test. Right. And if you can't test, uh, you're flying blind, which is why most of the emails you receive are rubbish. I really don't think at all. Well, if I'm, uh, I dictate my copy. By the way, oh really? Uh, I dictate my, all my copy. I even dictated whole books. Um, and then my my trusty and downtrodden PA Kelly transcribes it, and then I revise it, and then she transcribes that, and then I revise it, and then she, and then I revise it. Usually about five times. I write five emails a week, for instance, and they all go through that process. But it, it just essentially, if you want to know how to persuade somebody to do, to do something, imagine you're sitting opposite somebody, and if you don't, if they don't bloody well say yes, they'll shoot you. Now start, <laughs> yeah. That's the way I think about it. Yeah. Uh, so, Drayton, you talk about the three graces of direct marketing. Uh, which I think are also really relevant to people doing um, e-commerce marketing. Could you go through them? I took the trouble because I've written so much rubbish over the years. Have a look and see what the hell they were. <laughs> but I can, I can remind you. No, so no, in the first... I, no, no, I've got them here and I was going to say <laughs> something about them. The first thing is that uh, you isolate your prospects as an individual. So you're talking to one person. You're, you've got many ways in which you can find out about that person. You can speculate about that person. But the most important thing is you're talking to one person as an individual, not thousands of people. Yeah. Each yeah. one of those people is seeing, hearing, watching uh, what you're saying uh, on his or her own. The next uh, thing that you're trying to do, which is utterly critical to success in any form of selling is to build a continuing relationship. So once you've isolated that person, put them on a database, put them on a mailing list, whatever you like to call it, 
uh, you can then talk to them as an individual using the information you gain about them as an individual. And the third grace is that you can test. And where most uh, communications today are failing is due to the inability to test or the disinclination to test. When you had direct mail, when you had keyed advertisements or commercials, you could see what worked and what didn't. Today, people don't know. Nearly everybody watching this, if they do any marketing at all, and if they don't, they might as well go away and curl up and die, assuming they've got a business, yeah? <laughs> uses emails. And what yeah. do you know when you send out an email? Somebody says, how many people opened it? Well, that's almost completely useless. <laughs> it's not completely. It's a very, 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 very vague way of telling you how well it's done because the purpose of the communication is not to be opened or read or what. It's just to bloody well sell. And the only way you know whether it has sold is if somebody does something, buys something. Yeah? Most people are flying blind. I'm flying blind. The only way I have to know all this constant flow of garbage that I write every day is I, I know whether they looked at it, but the, really I know basically because a lot of people comment. Yeah, I get a lot of comments like, what, drop dead, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, I did. I, most days somebody says something nice to me. And my mailing list isn't very big. You know, so that gives me some clue. At any rate, they are agreeing with what I say. They think it makes sense. But it, it, I don't know the most important thing. I don't know who bought. And that very well, I'm not trying to make people buy. I'm just trying to get people interested. Yeah. Mm. So, so this wonderful, great leap forward in marketing, which, which is called digital. A friend of mine, Mark Ritson, the business school professor, basically says, has wrote something very funny about, you know, you want to succeed, go and say you know all about digital. In fact, knowing all about digital is about as much use as a chocolate teapot. Because the people haven't changed because it's, quotes digital, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same people, the same principles apply. Do you know, I think I've maybe learned more, actually, from reading older books on marketing, the classics, from even like the 50s, 60s, 70s, than I actually have from reading marketing books that are written today. Well, I'm, I'm at the moment working on two books. One uh, is about Claude Hopkins, the best copywriter who ever lived, who was paid, by the way, the equivalent of a million dollars to launch Pepsodent back in 1904, I think. Yeah. So he knew more about marketing than just about anybody around today. Yeah. He, he, he wrought miracles. He did things like, well, imagine if you, you, you have a motor car client, Ford, and you say, I'd like to handle Vauxhall. What would Ford say? I'd say, piss off. Yeah? yeah, of course. But Claude was so good that at one point he was writing for five different motor car brands at the <laughs> same time. Yeah? And how did he do it? Because before them, anyone else, he understood the virtues of positioning. So in this book, one of the things I'm doing is saying, look at how he positioned all these different products. Yeah. Well, I think, I think fundamentally human beings haven't changed over the past century. The other thing I'm doing at the moment, and I must be bloody mad, I've got about three things on the go, and one of them is a, a new version of a thing called the 100 Greatest Advertisements 
which appeared in the 1950s. And it's the comments, it's the best advertisements in the opinion of the people in the industry. Right. The comments from the people who wrote the advertisements or knew the people who wrote the advertisements, one of whom I knew, we just mentioned him, Draper Daniels. Um, actually, more than one of whom I knew because it also features David Ogilvy's ads and three or four people I actually knew because I'm so damned old. But again, these ads are... It's 100 years old, more than 100 years old. I've got two by Claude Hopkins where he'd launched Pepsodent, yeah? showing exactly what he did and how he did it. Most people don't understand these things. Those guys did. It was much harder to sell then. Uh, there was less money around. Yeah? And what they reveal applies just as well today. Two days ago, I was analyzing David Ogilvy's ad that sold the Rolls Royce. Oh, yeah. Now, how many people know that the headline that they all thought was wonderful was stolen from another ad by Pierce Arrow in the 1920s? Nobody. Because, I had no idea. Well, you see... And just actually, for the benefit of listeners who, who don't know that advert, I think it is the only thing you can hear in a Rolls-Royce at 16 miles an hour is the sound of the clock ticking. The loud, at, six, at 60 miles an hour, the loudest noise that comes from this new Rolls-Royce, and I was in this new Rolls-Royce, is the ticking of the electric clock. And then I analysed, what did he say next? Yeah, And why did he say it? Why did he use the word eminent when he talks about an engineer? You see, the problem with this business is that, that the people in it fondly imagine they're in a profession. They're not in a profession. This is not a profession. If you want to be a doctor then you're going to have to study things which originated 5,000, 7,000 years ago yeah, in Egypt, in Asia Minor. If you want to be a lawyer, you have to refer, you have to be aware of all the learning involved. goes back to the time of Hammurabi in Babylon, again, 7,000 years ago. If you want to learn about marketing, well, the word wasn't even used until 1904. And... Most of the people in it don't have a, a ghost of a clue about what they're doing. Thank God. How could anyone as stupid as me have done well <laughs> in a proper profession? <laughs> so amazing. going back then, to again, to earlier in your career, you were given the nickname Mummy Mummy Bird. <laughs> I, I think I can honestly say that um, there aren't any copywriters around who've done the things I've done. So... <laughs> Uh, one one advantage I have is that I've run businesses. I don't just mean agencies. And in the first one that I run, I run into the ground, and I went broke. We went broke, owing so much money to the Inland Revenue that for the next seven years, I lived under a false name because I I didn't want to. I couldn't pay. Yeah? <laughs> and what I did was anything whatsoever that would make money. Yeah. Uh, um, one of the things was I was a, like a freelance creative director. Mm -hmm. uh, for several agencies, there are three that I can think of. And one of them was a guy called Tony Harris. Uh, he was the creative director, quite a good agency, very good creative director, actually. And uh, before that, he'd worked for an agency uh, called Irwin Wazy, and before that, an agency called no, uh, Pritchard Wood. And at Pritchard Wood, they got the account of um, Robert Maxwell one of the most deeply unpleasant ships that ever lived. Um, and he owned Chambers Encyclopedia. And I was working at that time 
together with a man who was one of the two or three best creative people ever in this country, a guy called John Webster. If you ever see a thing late at night on television and they show you the 50 greatest advertisements ever that John wrote more than anyone or any of the others, but people still remember them, you know. There's one for Yorkshire, Smith's, for, for, I think John Smith's beer where he's got a performing dog that leaps up from under, under the counter. You see, <laughs> even the guy who's recording this, he's in Sheffield, poor boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he's smiling. He remembers. He, he got it. He's had a few bloody hangovers from John Smith. But, but anyhow, and he, he did all sorts of stuff. He did very, very, very good guy. And he wrote an ad for Chambers Encyclopedia for Robert Maxwell, which appeared on the back page of the Sunday Times. And the headline was, "Do you have an intelligent child?" Beautifully written. Flop completely. So they decided they'd try this man, Bird, who's a shady character who works in mail order, see what he could do. So I wrote an ad that simply said, it showed a child coming up the path, and it was a very small ad, eight-inch double column, coming up the path towards the mother, who you've seen from the back of the mother, yeah? And the headline said, Mummy, Mummy, I've passed. And then the subhead said, what can you do to make sure this magic moment comes true for your child that pissed all over everything yeah <laughs> it's so that's beautiful why Tony used to refer to that <laughs> I, it, it had some interesting uh, clients in those days I remember they would come to me when they'd given up so they had Saudi Airlines and they were looking for a, a line for Saudi Airlines and I, I didn't bother to go and I'd say ring me up and tell me what the problem is and I'll see what I can do so I said we can't come up with a, a, a you know, a line at the end, you know, a slogan. Slogans are mostly rubbish, you know. So I said, give me a bit. And they, they, I know the two guys have been working on it for six weeks. Then I had a couple of drinks and, um, and I wrote, I sent back, I said, I'll try this. Uh, Saudi, a key to the heart of the Middle East. And all I did was look at the, their route and compare it with other people's routes. All I knew about, they had more flights than anyone else going into blah, blah, blah. The Saudis went apeshit. They started banging out golden keys <laughs> with hearts on the top. <laughs> so I do it. Same guy, Tony Harris. Brilliant yeah. guy. Yeah, I love it's, that. Uh, yeah. So obviously when, when we're sending out emails, we, we tend to do uh, we tend to do a lot of discounting, which is pretty expensive. Um and I think also, frankly, for the consumer, when they've had their 10th discount in a row, it's beginning to get a bit boring. Um, so free gifts can be quite a good alternative. Um, how, how would you decide what are the sort of good free gifts to offer? Gifts work, and they're cheaper than actually giving money away. <laughs> That's a very, very simple thing. Yeah? And not only that, you can also take something and give it a, a value uh, based upon whoever sold it for the most. The Americans who sell uh, self-improvement, the people who say, I'll make you rich in 20 minutes or all your money back instantly without question, they take things and give them insane values. Uh, this is worth 12,000 million, blah, 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 but you can have it free. And that's because it's something I did 10 years ago and it's I don't need it anymore. Yeah. But giving it a value, very, very important, or as Gerald puts it, they have a decent perceived value. Yeah? How would you decide what to offer? 
Well, there are two types of incentive, two types of product for that matter. There are things that appeal to everybody and there are things that appeal to somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And one of the things I wrote in that book, Common Sense, was why talk to everybody when you only need to talk to somebody? That's the basis of direct marketing. Yeah. So you, you have to decide, am I best offering something that everyone would like or something that somebody would like? How can I find out? I'm going to have to test, yeah. And that's where people fall down. They don't test. There is a story that Ogilvy and May there, um, you said the way to find the best free gift was to leave several possible gifts lying around the office and that's see which one Ogilvy got stolen. That was from me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a man came in to see me when I was starting my agency with my partners back in the 1970s. And he said, uh, he said, I wanted to see you, he said, because I'd, I'd like to work for you. And I said, why? And he said, because I've been reading your advertisements. You know, advertising agencies tell you to advertise, but they don't advertise. But we did. Yeah. And he said, you sound the kind of people that I'd like to work for. And eventually he came to work for me and he became the managing director of Bobo. Um but he told me a wonderful story because he'd, he'd been in the mail order catalogue business about how they selected the new products for uh, the coming catalogue. And they would have what's called the hall test. they get lots of ordinary customers into a hall and lay out all the products on yeah. benches and on tables and ask the ladies, so they were mostly ladies, to say which ones they would like. And they'd do this. And then the ladies would leave. Uh, um, but before they le- left, they would leave all the products on a big bench at the end so they could clear them away. And when the ladies left, they just went to see which products had been stolen most. <laughs> and those were the ones that were going to be the winners. Yeah? <laughs> so don't go, do not rely on what people say or on their opinions. <laughs> most people don't know what they're going to do yeah, until they yeah. do it. Yeah? Rather than what they say, yeah. That's the truth of that story. (laughs) And that's Brian Thomas, still around, very bright uh, and extremely funny. Inserts, to move on, inserts are still huge. Um, And obviously, it used to be the case, inserts were mainly in magazines, perhaps statements, whereas now they're probably more in the parcels being delivered to the customers. What would be your advice on how to do inserts well? Media change principles don't. Um, and there are certain principles that will always apply. Uh, one of which is that uh, the more reasons you can give somebody to do what you want them to do, the better you will do. Now, obviously, if you're selling something like orange squash, there aren't that many reasons you can give <laughs> It's not <laughs> a perfect direct matter. <laughs> but if you're selling something serious, then the more you can do in your insert, the more you can say, the more you can demonstrate, the better you will do. So for some years, actually twice, on two occasions, for many years, I worked for Everest, the people who uh, install all sorts of things, starting with double glazing, but many other things. And uh, for year after year, people would try and beat our insert. And year after year, they would fail until everything changed when they got a new marketing director, a new fuck all, 
and who decided it was the direct mail. That's so then they went broke again. Blah blah blah. Um, the insert in question that we created was enormous. It was like a small. It was written. It was created mostly by the lady I mentioned earlier on that I, I stay with, who was a brilliant copywriter and still is. Um, but before she became a financial worth, um, it was huge. So an insert uh, should preferably give every reason why people should do what you want them to do, demonstrate it in as many ways as you can possibly think of, uh, give as much space as you can to people who say it's wonderful it was in other words every communication be it an insert or an advertisement should give people every reason why you want them to do what they want to do with as many demonstrations as you could think of as long as you know how not to bore people and that's really the trick with copywriting is how can you avoid boring people you know? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says to themselves, I know what I'd like to do today. I think until lunchtime, I'll read all available direct mail or advertisements <laughs> in my stuff, and then I'll watch the commercials. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. not boring people is rather important, but, but it's a little trick that very few people have really latched on to. So just my, my last question was about one-stage and multi-stage selling. Um, I guess in e-commerce, I guess you have these two options, isn't it? When you either try and sell immediately to the customer or you focus on getting their email address to sell to them over time. Again, um, there is no, there's no difference uh, here between this medium or any other medium. Let's say you have the same situation with advertising. Well, if you've got something very, very simple to sell, uh, you don't need a big ad. You've got something very complicated and expensive, you need a big ad. If you uh, have uh, something very, very simple to sell, you don't you sell straight off. Yeah? If you've got something expensive or complicated, get them to sign up and then keep chasing them until they give up. These are the two ways. No matter what the medium, no matter what the situation, no matter what the product, always apply. Simple and cheap, you know, very simple approach, yeah? one bash yeah? and then if it works very well you follow up because you know or you should know that the second bash will get 50 percent of the sales of the first bash things that are complicated you get the name so that you can keep on hitting them till they finally give in cool and i guess this is quite a nervous a nerve-wracking moment for me <laughs> but i would just like to pitch my advert for machine labs to you now for your feedback so uh, the photo, we've got an exhausted and desperate man, close to emotional and physical collapse, looking oh, at the camera in no, a very I, busy I, warehouse. I don't remember posing for that. <laughs> <laughs> the headline, in quotes, not more orders. And then the copy starts, Machine Labs is the marketing software that will break your warehouse. Well, I thought that was quite a good approach, but... Unfortunately, I'm not the customer. <laughs> you should test a lot of other approaches. I mean, it's, every day I try to write something that I think will work. It seems to, judging by the fact that people say nice things, but whether <laughs> they do anything, who knows? Thank you, Jayton, for a very special podcast, which I'll never forget. 
If you have a question for Drayton, go to DraytonBird.com where you can get a free copy of Claude Hopkins' scientific advertising or indeed ask our own expert Drayton a question. I don't know how we're going to follow this uh, up, but we will manage it somehow. And I'll see you next week on The Joy of Marketing. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> next, next week, we're going to talk about the pain of marketing, <laughs> the misery of marketing, <laughs> why you're not rich, why I'm not rich.